Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, and this is a look back at the Leap Back. With me, I'm Albie. And I'm Brian Green. And this time on the second panel we're going to listen to, it's Deborah Pratt, the co-executive producer, co-creator of Quantum Leap and the voice of Ziggy. Brian, I understand the Leap Back Quantum Leap Convention in 2009 raised a lot of money for something called the Starlight Children's Foundation. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. When we started planning the convention, we knew we wanted it to be for a charity. And uh, one of our um, committee members suggested the Starlight Children's Foundation. It's a great organization that helps children with serious illnesses. And um, so we ended up, uh, when it all said and done, selling DVDs, tickets, and uh, our fantastic charity auction, which brought in 11800 and some dollars alone. Altogether, we raised $41,716. Wow. That's amazing. It was, yes. Is that organization still around? Yes, it is. It's uh, very prominent. I'm guessing people can go to starlightchildrensfoundation.com or Google it. I believe it's uh, starlight.org. So if anybody would like to keep the support going for the Starlight Children's Foundation, that would be a great place to do it. Absolutely. Were the things from the auction donated by the stars? Um, There were a few items, yes, donated by the stars. Also from fans, um, including myself. Awesome. How many people attended the Leap Back in 2009? We had close to 500 people. Wow. That filled up the ballroom fairly well. Very nice. How much were tickets? We had several different packages that you could choose from, and we cleverly named them Gushy's Programming. We had the Imaging Chamber Silver Ticket, which was your basic ticket, which was $119. We had the Control Room Gold Ticket, which was $229, and you got a little bit of extra stuff there. And uh, then we had the Accelerator Chamber platinum ticket, which was $299, which included everything, all the parties and photo of Scott and Dean, a special bag and, and some other extra items. And because it was a smaller convention, you know, it wasn't thousands of fans. The ticket prices were higher than you would see in a lot of other places. And then we finally had the String Theorist diamond ticket, which was, I think it was about 350 bucks, And uh, it included everything there was, all inclusive. So we had uh, several people come right out for that. It was, you know, more front row tickets there. So those people that initially bought those front row seats really helped us kick off the convention and really made it happen, in other words, because we were able to pay some of the bills up front and uh, really get it going. And the listeners get to hear it for free, so that's pretty cool. Yes, definitely. They just had to wait how many years? Uh, Almost six and a half, yeah. Wow, it's been that long. Crazy. It is. Okay, so sit back, relax, and have a listen to the panel with Deborah and Pratt. Wow! Ladies and gentlemen. What a great turnout. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Wow, this is exceptional. And congratulations to all of you for being here, for supporting the show. I heard the uh, fanfare from the various uh, locations that you've come in from. Now, who's from overseas? Me. Me, where are you from? Australia. England. Australia, yes. The Aussies are here. Yes? France. Bonjour. Israel. I saw the flag. All right. England. Yes? That's a yes? Netherlands. Netherlands. Anybody? Oh, Yes? Germany. I, I congr- oh, wait, one more. Australia. 
Welcome. Welcome and welcome to all the uh, Americans. <laughs> uh, and te wait, Texans, that counts as America still. <laughs> like California, it's almost like we're about to secede any moment from the Union. Um, this is a really meaningful show for me, obviously, for a lot, a lot of reasons. And to have people have watched it over the years to ga gather new fans. I think my favorite thing that I hear from people when uh, someone says, oh, and this is Deborah Pratt, she did Quantum Leap. And they go, oh, I don't watch TV, but I watch Quantum Leap. <laughs> it, it always made me feel very, very proud. And the letters that over the years I have received and still receive um, from people who I feel so far away from you. Uh, that that, uh, that watched the show, that were inspired by the show, that felt that we affected their lives in a lot of different ways. Um, I had the privilege of, of writing 25 episodes. Uh, producing 97. We almost made it to 100. You know, where's Warren Littlefield? Somebody said, is Warren Littlefield going to be here? We're going to beat him up. Then, <laughs> <laughs> um, God rest his soul, Brandon Tartikoff, who had the vision to say, tell me what this is again. <laughs> I think I was telling the story. If any of you tuned into the podcast that uh, was on Sunday, um, people said, what happened when you went out to, to pitch the show? And... Uh, Don and I went in to NBC to meet with Brandon Tartikoff, and Don set up the pitch of the show and told him what it was about, and Brandon just kind of looked at him and like a puppy, tilted his head and said, say that again? <laughs> and Don told it to him again, and he said, mm-hmm, let me think about it. So we went away, and we're like waiting to see if we were going to go or not, and uh, Brandon says, uh, come back in. you got to pitch it again. We went back in, and we talked about it, and he said, now pitch it to me like I am my 80-year-old mother. And so we broke it down bit by bit. And he said, this is so unique. I have to pick this show up. And here's the credit that I think goes to you guys. They didn't know what to do with us. When we came on that first season, the show came on, people started watching it. But they didn't know where to put us or who to put us behind as a lead-in or a follow-up. So in five years, the show moved six times. And to the credit of the fans, you followed us, you found us, and you watched us. And I thank you, and I will always thank you. Um, I want to... It's really interesting because... My son, Nicholas Dante Belisario, had been going through a, a phase where he couldn't sleep, and I found him downstairs watching all the episodes <laughs> and laughing hysterically because he was born while the show was on. So he kind of missed out on it. I mean, Troy and she got to be in Another Mother, and uh, by the way, she's graduating from college. And wanted to be here this weekend. She's graduating from USC, and they're flying her to New York to audition for a Broadway play. So 
fingers crossed, good energy. Um, and she's turned into, I think, a really marvelous actress. And, uh, and I share this story because when she did an Another Mother, she was four years old. And I'm on the set, and it's her first day, and I, like, come out of my office and come down. They've got her in her little costume, and I'd worked on her lines with her. And um, we're on the set, and Dean Stockwell walks on the set. And he'd met her before because she'd been down there. And he looked at her, and he looked at me, and he looked at her again. And he came over to me and said, what is she doing here? <laughs> and I said, oh, I, I wrote an episode for her so she could see what mommy and daddy do and be a part of it. And he said, do you need the money? <laughs> and I said, no, no, I, no, what, what do you mean? He said, do not take away her childhood. That's right. And I saw 50 years of of his life. He started at five years old on Broadway. And it gave me chills. And I remember after the show aired, we got calls for movies, we got calls for television miniseries for her to go to work. And I could not get Dean's message out of my head. And I looked at my four-year-old daughter, who was so, she was so wonderful because it was so natural to her. And her attitude was, like, we can only use it for this much time to rehearse. And she would say, why is someone saying my lines? <laughs> so I waited. And I said to her, when you're ready, you'll come back to this. And where, where we lived, the Olsen twins lived across the street. And they would pedal on their little bicycles and come up and play with her when they were, like, six years old. And, and I remember taking the, it was Troyan's birthday maybe her sixth or seventh birthday, and I took a bunch of kids to the VIP tour at Universal, and the Olsen twins were with us. I didn't think anything of it until we got off the tram to get something to eat, and I looked up, and there were 300 people around them. And I realized these young girls would never have a life like I was able to give my daughter by making this choice. So I'm grateful for Dean. And uh, I'm just glad that now that she's saying, okay, I still want to do this, she's doing it on her decision and her time, and she got to be a kid, and she got to be a, a teenager, and all that kind of good stuff. So thank you, Dean. Um, and then last night, I said, ooh, I'm going to watch some episodes. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, and it was really funny I was kind of going through so many good shows and that was one of the things my son came in and he said I said you want to watch this show with me and he goes oh I've seen them all I, and he says and I laughed and he said why'd they take it off the air it's really good it's still really good I said you know what it is still really good and I, I don't know why they took it off the air And maybe someday, somehow, you know, we'll, we'll find a way back. We keep, we keep trying in that essence. But the books, the comic books, all the things that people have contributed to keeping the, sh the, um, the essence of the show going forward is, it's, I think, classic to what you guys represent. So anyway, so the first show I come across is Portrait for Troyan. <laughs> And I said, I don't know if I can watch me. I don't know. <laughs> and I put it on, and 
what I took from it was a what a fun thing to do to be a writer, to be a producer, to be the voice of Ziggy, and to get to almost kiss Scott Bakula. <laughs> so I'm watching the show, and I think what I enjoyed the most was Scott and Dean and how playful they are with each other. Dean was afraid of the ghosts, and he didn't like the skeletons, and he was so adorable. And Scott, his timing was just so wonderful at how he played with him. The next show I watched was So Help Me God. Thank you. Um, I love Scott's Leonard, his innocence, his honesty, um, it was everything that I put into that character that he took a hundred feet higher. Um, I can't think of the actress's name. Does anybody know? Yes, thank you. See, you guys are the best <laughs> ever. What? There you go, right. <laughs> I know, that sounds like fun, doesn't it? This is a great weekend. Again, to the crew and to Brian, congratulations. What a... An amazing accomplishment. Um, the first Quantum Leap. Let me talk about that a little bit. Uh, a wonderful uh, assistant whose name is Harriet Margolis. If you meet her over this time here, Sunday. She was the person that told me the Leapers were online. And she came to me and she said, you got to check this out. Every night when the show goes off, all these people get online and they start talking about the show. And I went, you're kidding. And so we went and we checked it out and there was this kind of water cooler happening. And this was in what, maybe 1990? Way before anything or anybody else. So you guys were way ahead of your time anyway. And the second year, the Leapers were really growing. We knew we had a uh, a real force behind us when they tried to move the show or, and or take it off the air. And we had a letter writing campaign. And Harriet always kind of had her, her, her thumb on the pulse of, um, of everything that was happening in that respect. And so I remember saying, you know, Harriet, they just had this Star Wars convention and, or a Star Trek convention. That's what it was. And I said, they have Trekkies, but we have leapers. <laughs> Why don't we have a convention? And to her credit, she said, okay, and did all the footwork of finding who the best people were. I, you know, I said to her, who puts on these? She found out. She started to organize with, can't think of the gentleman's name, who put on those first two conventions. Adam. Malin, yes. Um, and we literally thought we were going to get a couple of hundred people. I remember even Don said, ah, nobody's going to come. 2,000 people came. And I think we were all really pleasantly surprised. The show was still up. We had, you know, costumes from the show. We had uh, sets that we could bring down. We had you know, a lot of the things that, you know, I'm so grateful for uh, the fan film, for Chris's fan film that we're going to see today, um, just because it makes it alive again.
Anyway, after that, I said, wow, this is really incredible. I think we could do anything with this show. I believed it. <laughs> and so I wrote a letter to the heads of every department at Universal. And that was recording, film, television, uh, family, uh, animation. Uh, I wanted to do a ride at Universal. I mean, I was really rocking and rolling on this. And at first, no one responded. And Don said, you know what, nobody's going to respond. This isn't Disney. This is not what Universal does. And then I got a memo back from Lou Wasserman. And Lou Wasserman was head of Universal. And once Lou said he was coming, everybody had to come. <laughs> so I sat at this long table. Don and I sat at this long table with the head of film, the head of television, the head of uh, family entertainment, the head of um, music, the head of the parks. I mean, we had everybody at this table. And I said, okay. You can do this, and you can do this, and you can do this, and you can do this. And I think one of the things that I brought, interestingly enough, was uh, a piece, uh, two cells of animation from an animated series that took place um, in the future. Or at least the opening episode was going to take place in the future. And it introduced Sammy Joe. So... Um, we got a lot out of that. We got the CD. How many people have heard the CD? That... I don't know if it's still in production, is it? Do, do you know? Yes? It's a great CD. Scott's an amazing singer. And, and I'm honored to write uh, that I wrote the alphabet rap song for, <laughs> for Dean, who is definitely a funky, soulful guy, right? <laughs> but he had a blast, and he did it to a thousand percent, which was exceptional. Um, but it's a great CD. So we got the CD, we got VHSs, which are now DVDs. Has anybody seen the collections? Universal did a great job on those. And I think, I've been told that they are the number one selling uh, DVDs at Universal right now for television series. Thank you again. That's a great idea, but you know what? Oh, uh, thank you for saying that. I have to tell you, I called them up when I heard what they had done, and I said, are you crazy? <laughs> the music really sets the tone of the period. We're traveling in time. We can and they said, we, I guess because of the way the contracts were done, we could not get the music in perpetuity. So songs like Imagine... Um, uh, all the songs that I think we used in Georgia on Your Mind. Um, well, you know what I said? I went to them and I said, so I think there are versions of them that have all the original music. English ones do? So the really? They use what? Foreigner? Oh, That's right. Not on any Go ahead. Folks, well, we didn't get to saying this yet, but if you 
you have any questions for Ms. Pratt, we have two microphone locations set up in the auditorium. One on that side right oh, there, oh, and it like a microphone. And the other one <laughs> <laughs> So that everybody else can hear the question that you're asking, I'd ask you to probably go to the mic and then do it Thank you. That's quite all right. No, no, I appreciate it. I hadn't even realized that. I, I feel like you guys are my friends, you know, in the sense that we have a simpatico based on this show that is unexplainable. I mean, I'm, it, it's a part of me. I was grateful that I got to do so many elements of it from its inception to today. I hope someday to do my Sammy Joe movie and the book and all kinds of stuff because it has life. It just, the life keeps going. Um, there's so many episodes that have real personal meaning for me um, that said a lot about where I was in my life, that said a lot about my feeling of who we are as, a, as human beings. Black on White on Fire, uh, The Color of Truth. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and then they're just, I mean, we were blessed. We had great writers on the show, uh, Paul Bellows and Chris Rupenthal, uh, certainly Don Belisario, and The Leap Home is an incredibly moving piece. Um, go ahead, you had a question. Yeah, hi, hi Deborah. Hi, um, what's your name? Janine. Hi, Janine, where are you from? Um, England. Whereabouts? Northeast England. Yes, what a little place called uh, Stockton-on-Tees where the uh, railways were made. All right. I haven't been there yet, but I'll put it on my list. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, two quick questions. One is, um, whose idea was it to make uh, Ziggy as um, eccentric as she was? Because I thought she was brilliant. <laughs> the second question, out of all the episodes that you um written, which one was your favourite? I, I personally... I, one of my favourite episodes is actually um, Black and White on Fire. Um, it's basically because of my mum. My mum's actually mixed race and she was born in the 50s. So that um, touches me because it had me shouting at the television at some bits. <laughs> so in what way? Very passionate. Yes, in what way? What were you shouting? Oh, um the bit where the, the mother was saying, oh, well, the children, they won't be black, they won't be white. And I'm like, what does that matter? <laughs> I couldn't help myself because if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be here. That's so right. That's come I find that episode quite interesting. But it's hard to pick my favourite because but that's the one that I always start shouting at tell you when I watch it. I can't help myself. <laughs> you know, I think the show has that effect on people. Um, I... I uh, looked at my children, and, you know, I'm biracial. I'm uh, Native American, African American, Caucasian. I'm about as mixed as this planet can give. <laughs> and I, I wondered what my children would have to deal with. And then basically said, you know what, they're human. We all get to be human, and let's be that. And that's, I think, the message of that whole piece. Uh, and you get such a great opportunity to, to say it. So I agree with you 100% on, on that one. All right, thank you. Thank you. And about Ziggy, and your favorite episode that you've written? Z well, you know, when they... <laughs> we needed a voice for Ziggy. And uh, I was there. 
and I had this very deep voice that I could articulate. And it was a bit androgynous, so we didn't know if it was male or female, which machines don't necessarily have to be male or female. But because of the intimacy between Dr. Beckett and his creation, Ziggy, there was a thing. <laughs> she called him father in one episode. This is a bit sick. I mean, the show had a sense of, I mean, certainly from Dean, but I mean, from Al, there was a sense of sensuality that came. But I think because the only sort of female character on the show was Ziggy, I was very proud to inject the feminine side of that. Um, so, I, you know, I could have fun with it. And once we started it, the writers picked up on it. And, and I just, I don't know, I played around. <laughs> Thank you. We have another question on your left, Deborah. Yes, go ahead. Hi, thank you very much for coming. I'm Janie from Salt Lake. Hi, Janie from Salt Lake. And may I first there. <laughs> may I first comment that you must have been leaping around because you haven't changed for 20 years. <laughs> thank you very much. Good genetics. <laughs> Um, you were talking earlier about not being able to use some of the music, and I wanted to let you know that um, in my area, um, the ION station had been showing um, Quantum Leap, and they're into their second run now, and both times they have not shown Glitter Rock. So I wrote the station, I said, what's going on? You're skipping this episode. And they actually answered and told me that there is uh, a matter of legality <coughs> excuse me, with using the music from that, and that's why they can't show it. You know, where the music industry is today, you would think that they would take any opportunity whatsoever mm -hmm. to, to get their music out. Yep. Small leapers. <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't know what can be done about that. If, they, if they, um, the musicians won't give up the rights, there's really nothing that, that Universal can do in that respect except maybe write a fan letter to the, to the musicians who actually mu had the music we're covering to say, hey, give it up. There's money in your pocket. Give it up. Thank you. Is there another question? Hi, Deborah. This is Sharon from Dearborn, Michigan. Hi, Sharon. <laughs> um, I've been to Michigan. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know a lot of the Leapers here know that you were involved in a project to bring Time Child to the screen. Will we ever be able to actually just read that? Or I know that the Come project Come Sunday. Okay. Maybe Sunday we can have just a flavor of it. I, I started it, and when the plug got pulled, I, I stopped. But uh, maybe you know, a little bit, a little, little, little. We're desperate. <laughs> yeah, so there's a possibility. And, you know, Universal really liked it. Um, it's a great story. Everybody here knows Sammy Joe. And um, I wrote, when I wrote the trilogy and finished it with Sam meeting his daughter uh, and, and Al telling him that Sammy Joe was in the future and she was working to bring him home 20 years ago with the idea of saying... I'm going to do this. I want to continue this story. So it's, it's, 
it's you guys and the fates, and I think, you know, we'll see what, uh, what Don says. He, he, I think, wants to do the pilot first, but I don't know. And then we'll see. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, my Hi. name is Melissa, and I'm from Virginia. Virginia, I've been there. <laughs> it's, yeah. West, or, West or Virginia? No, I, uh, actually, now they're central. We're doing oh, okay. the Spotsylvania, Fredericksburg area. Near the CIA? Uh, no. <laughs> no <laughs> DC's about an hour and 15 minutes from where I live. Oh, okay. No, but um, from watching the show, the show has had such an impact on my life on so many levels. And I have loved Dean with, with all my heart. And he's one of my favorites on the show. And the episode, Jimmy, when Sam had leapt into him, that was such a touching episode. And when Al was trying to get Sam to not get him committed, and he told about his sister, Trudy, and that was very moving to me because I've had to go through a lot in my life, and I was kind of hoping that he'd be here so I can thank him for that. And because wow. I've had to go through a lot of crap in my life through school and going through special ed classes and that, you know, and when they said that he wasn't going to be here, that kind of broke my heart a little bit. Oh, I, I am so grateful that the show touched you and supported you in the life changes of what you're doing and that we were a voice for something that you were feeling because I think that's the special gift of this series, that there's so many people that somehow or another, through the words, through the situations, through the characters, um have a voice. Uh, there is something happening in Dean's personal life. I know he wanted very much to come. I don't know uh, why, you know, but time or God or something, maybe he'll leap in. But if not, you have to know that he's here in spirit. But is he okay? We, we don't know what's going on. I don't think it's him. I think it has something to do with his family. But I don't know any more details than that. So maybe over the weekend we can find out specifically, but yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Hi, Deborah. I'm Natalie from Salt Lake City, Utah. And if you what's your name, Natalie? Hi, Natalie. If you haven't been to Utah, you should come and ski. I have. I've been to it's Utah, uh, Deer Valley. Yeah. yeah. It's so beautiful. As a matter of fact, I <clears throat> tore my ACL there. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Someone said, I'll, I'll interrupt for just a second. We're skiing. I'm trying to keep up with my then 13-year-old. And I said, you know, I'm really tired. I'm going down. He says, no, come on, Mom. One more run. We never really ski together. I said, that's because I can't keep up with you. And he shoots off down this way. And I'm with kind of a guide. And the guide said, oh, well, there are moguls down there. And I said, oh, okay, what's a mogul? <laughs> I found out <laughs> as you're skiing down and I'm going through and I was kind of cute at first because I was just following somebody else and then the ski just kind of went out and I heard this pop oh. and I, I literally I lifted up my leg and it like wiggled like this <laughs> and I'm standing there I mean because I, I pulled myself up I was immediately going to ski down I was not going to go down on one of those little sled things and um, the like everybody around me is doing this <laughs> <laughs> And I said, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, boy. 
Please, now ask your question. Um, I just was wondering if you were part of the decision to change Ziggy from he to she. You know, every other season except the last season, Ziggy is he. And then in the last season, they called Ziggy a she, just out of the blue. I was wondering Ziggy is a machine. She's beyond (laughs) he and she. Um, You know, I think it was just one of those situations where because I was a woman, it was my voice, the writers just kind of picked up on it in that respect. But, you know, I think that's the debate. It's funny because I played around with that too where someone said he and then someone else said she. And then you go, you know. (laughs) Okay, so Ziggy is who you need her to be. Or him. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Someone else asked, did I have a favorite show? This is a tough show to have a favorite show. Um, a favorite show as to Scott's performance and Dean's performances. Um, the, the scene where Dean doesn't get back to his wife and they dance together in Georgia on my mind made me cry. And I'm sitting in the editing room with tears running down my face. Um, and I, I'll tell you a story too. Uh, when we were shooting that, Dean ripped himself apart in that performance. And I came down to the set one day and I said, I have to tell you, Dean, I've been watching dailies and your performance is incredible. And I think we should write more shows where you really get to show your dramatic art. And he said, don't. (laughs) I said, why? He said, do you like to be in pain? And I said, no. He said, to do this level of, or this depth into myself to make this character, this wonderful character work in this wonderful situation is painful. And I like having fun. I like that Al is gregarious and silly. And, and he said, you know, I, I really appreciate the opportunity, but don't. <laughs> but he nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. And um, the end of the leap home. And the end of, Bla- of uh, The Color of Truth, when he was in, because Dean had actually been in some of the marches. So the leap home when he said, I'm free in my mind. Um, how many years was he in PO? Five. I said six. I was, somebody asked me, and I thought it was six. Say what? Right, but wasn't he in there prior? He kind of extended it, though. Well, I know. He did that one. He kind of extended it, though, because he did that one where he saved that one person, which extended his stay. Right. So, this is now five or six years. Um, Let me think of what Scott's singing, Imagine in the leap home is, and it's really funny, I, I, I never watched American Idol and I watched it last year and the young guy from Utah did Imagine and I'm sitting there at the end and I'm like crying, I'm like shocked that this young 16 year old has just so nailed this song um, and it made me remember the, the clarity and communication, A, of John Lennon's words and music, but how simply um, Scott had done it, and how much emotion he had put in it. 
Um, oh, and the other show that I watched was um, the Don Quixote show. What is it? Catch a Falling Star. Um, you know, that's why I said we, we did a lot of incredible shows uh, from, from what price Gloria. And he, when I told him he was going to be in drag... He leaned over to me and he said, I'm not a very pretty woman. <laughs> I said, yeah, but you're gorgeous anyway. <laughs> it was really funny. They had, um, they, they had pictures of Johnny Depp and Jude Law and two other people. And I kept thinking, where's Scott? Where's Scott? Of course, I guess he wasn't in drag at all on, on Star Trek, on Enterprise. <laughs> Anyway, um, I don't know how much more time do I have, Mark. I don't want to... You, you're, you're doing fine, but I'm a fan, too. I had a question. All right. <laughs> I'm just wondering right now, currently in your, in your life, what's, what's happening with you, what's going on, work, love, need any handsome actors. I mean, I just, <laughs> just want to know what you're doing right now with yourself. Um, <laughs> no, well, as a matter of fact... Oh. <laughs> um, my primary focus for a while has been the Vision Quest. And I invite all of you to come to thevisionquest.com, uh, which is a trilogy of books. I was into a trilogy thing. I haven't gotten out of it. Um, that takes place in Earth's not-too-distant future. And I think it was inspired, in a way, by Quantum Leap, kind of on the flip side, in the sense that we had a unique opportunity in Quantum Leap to tell stories of our history through the eyes of people in present time. So I thought, I wonder if there's a way to really explore that in the future, to really look at what we're creating for our future right now from uh, genetically enhanced beings, alternate species, the fact that in England they have dropped the, um, the genetic splicing laws and opened it up to be able to... Gen to genetically implant human genetics into animals um, for a variety of reasons, for Alzheimer's, for, I mean, for really good reasons, but what if? What if these became, you know, a new species of creatures that we lived with? And I think then there's a soulful part to the story in the sense that these beings, their humanity is so new to them that they remember the powers that we've forgotten and they start to teach them back to us. So um, there are elements of the heart that I'm going to bring with me no matter what I write and create. Uh, so that's there. The website is there. I invite you all to come and be uh, questers. <laughs> um, I'm also, I directed a film for the BBC uh, called Cora Unashamed, Masterpiece Theater. Um, I did a series called The Net, which I really had some fun ideas for, but a lot of politics and strange things happened, and I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. Um, I have written a screenplay called Chevalier and Antoinette. Um, in 18th century France, there was this amazing um, musician who happened to be the finest swordsman in all of France. He was... Uh, Virtuoso violinist, court composer to Louis XVI, tutor to Marie Antoinette, 
and he was black. And uh, he had his own regiment in the revolution called the Jean de Couleur. And I'm saying, and, and then I heard his music. He influenced Mozart and Haydn and people wrote, you know, he wrote concertos and operas and, um, and he set up a style of, of um, violin dueling that was very influenced by his swords play. But literally, people would come and challenge him like a gunfighter to, to fight. And I'm saying, how do I tell this story? How do I get it to the public? And I'm reading, I had to translate. There was nothing on him. Probably two-thirds of his music was lost uh, over the years, but the third that's left is phenomenal. Um, I found a very small passage that said, Marie Antoinette was such a fan of his music that she used to sneak out of the palace to hear him play in Paris. And I said, what if? Um, so the story is told through her eyes the night before her beheading about this incredible passion she had for this music and the man who made it and how she, when she couldn't possess it, she erased him from history, which is why you don't know who he is today. So it's a, you know, it's a good piece. Uh, Terrence Howard is attached to a uh, star Chevalier. We're looking for a woman, um to play the part. We've got some amazing other talent um, that have also attached, and we're hoping to shoot that in the fall. And then somewhere down the line, somehow, we'll do uh, my Sammy Joe movie, Time Child. Any other questions today? Oh, there's one over Hello. here. Um, first off, I wanted to add my thanks for making the show because I was 12 when I started watching, so obviously it had a big part. I was 12 too. <laughs> <laughs> What's your name? I'm sorry. Francis from Italy. Thank you, Francis. Buongiorno. Buongiorno. <laughs> um, and I also enjoyed Jimmy a lot because my aunt had Down syndrome, so it made a lot of, you know, give me a, a lot of info and different points of view. Um, but I actually want to ask a question. Is there any storyline that you would have wanted to make an episode out of? Or is there any subject that you wanted or you think could have made a nice episode and that for any reason didn't go on screen? Well, I have to tell you, when we were cancelled, um, we had the whole next season mapped out. So we didn't know we were going to be canceled. And the, and the real sadness was that after we went off the air, show after show after show after show that we could have, you know, been a lead-in or a follow-up to, that they could have built a night on, which was always their, their um, argument to us. Uh, started to come on. And I think we were just so far ahead of our time. And, um, oh, and I'll tell you one more antidote in the sense that, so yes, there are a lot of stories I, I would have liked to do. And, you know, when the time is right, I, this, this is, uh, is, this is an evergreen series. There's a lot of shows right now that are trying to, you know, Remind of Quantum Leap because the journeyman travels in time and there's early edition. There's a lot of 
you know, and it's like, you know, you feel like you want to say, you had a perfectly good show, wonderful show, why try to copy it when the, the original was so much better? Well, I know Sci-Fi tried to do a show. Um, I'm sorry? Yeah, I, I think that um, I had talked to them a long time ago about doing Sammy Joe as a movie. And then they decided that they wanted to do it as a series, so they went to Don, and another writer wrote it. Um, but I don't think sci-fi was the right place for it. Because other than the fact that he's leaping in time, the show's not a sci-fi show. And they didn't get that. That was the hard part about, about the network, about the studio. Quantum Leap is, is a show about people and heart and story um, character. So if it were to come back, it would have to come back either in mainstream television or on a USA. Um, you know, Don will be here Sunday. I'm sure they talk to him a lot more. He may have answers <laughs> more specific than I, than I do at this point. I know that Universal was very interested in the film and it just has to, it has to fall in line to what I guess he needs to do first. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. There was something I was going to tell you, but I forgot. <laughs> no, major motion picture. Really? Yeah. Um, no, mine wasn't at all. It was Sammy Joe grown up getting her father home. Discovering him and getting him home. That's what I wrote the trilogy for to, to lock that off. So, fingers crossed. Who knows? Just have to do it before. But luckily we travel in time, so. <laughs> we can do it at any time. Uh, there's another question over here. Hi, Deborah. Hi. My name's Mindy. I'm Mindy. from uh, Connecticut. Hi, Connecticut. Yes, Connecticut, and, uh, I've been there. Oh, okay. Uh, I've been a lot of places. <laughs> I'm wondering, I don't hear a lot about, uh, you hear a lot of, about what's in front of the camera, but we don't hear a lot about what it took to get that level of work to the, to the public and to the, you know, in front of the camera. So I was wondering if you had any stories about possibly table reads or the writer's room or anything in, in, in that vein. We were an incredibly unique show because unlike ER or Law and Order or we were someplace different every week. So we had no standing sets. So kudos to, to Cameron Burney because every week we were not only in a different place, but we were in a different time. Um, he, Bob Ziliox, uh, who was the set dresser, um, I mean, it was it was challenging. We had a, a set budget that we pretty well stayed to, sort of. <laughs> um, as long as we could get the the scripts in time. But we would we would meet. Uh, let me give you a, just kind of a, a day in the life of. Um, you'd come into work and the. Uh, 8 o'clock meeting might be editing. So you'd go down to the editing room and you'd be working on, let's say, show 4. And you'd sit there for an hour, and then at 9 o'clock you had to go to the pitch room to pitch for show 15. 
So you would hear a series of pitches, you would decide who should go and who should not go. Uh, you would leave there and you would go to show six, which was casting. And we were casting show six. Um, that was at 11 o'clock. At 12 o'clock, you could go down to the set to see show uh, five, which was shooting. And, um, or, no. I've lost my count. I should have done it numerically. Huh? Oh, we were editing at four, so we're shooting five. Right, and we're casting six. Thank you very much. Um, so you had, to, you had to keep in your mind what script you were walking into at any time. And then beyond that, you'd go to post or, and you would be spotting the next show. And then from there you would go to music. And this is kind of producer-writer role. You'd go to a music scoring session with, with uh, Belton Ray Bunch and, or Mike Post. And they would be scoring another show or uh, whatever show was in post. Um, so the ability to create, and then you, then you would get some writing time in the afternoon and maybe lunch, maybe. Uh, and then you go back down to the set to make sure that they were on time um, because you didn't want to shoot more than 12 to 14 hours a day because you didn't want to... And, and I have to say, Scott Bakula is Iron Man. <laughs> He had the unique ability, because he was on, if you look at the shows, he's on the screen 45% of the time. Very rarely is anybody on the screen, and he's not there. So um, he had musicals to do. He had to learn how to hang upside down on a trapeze. <laughs> Poor baby. I think he had acupuncture. I mean, when he's here, if you can ask him about it. He was not a happy camper. <laughs> but he did it. He did it 100%. He was in mud and rain, and it was an amazing uh, challenge for him. So, so then all of a sudden, the script that's supposed to start shooting, script six. That's okay. Oh, okay, we're casting. It's hat five. No, 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 this would be seven. The show that follows six would be seven. So they turned in the script, and it's not Quantum Leap. It doesn't have the voice, it doesn't have the energy, it doesn't have the, the roller coaster, because I always said it was like a roller coaster ride. You get on the roller coaster, and you go up, and you're meeting everybody, and everything's nice, and all of a sudden you get to the top of the hill, and you go, Zoom! <laughs> something happens, and then you go up again, and by the end of Act 2, you're going off a cliff. Um, and then, of course, our heroes get it together, and they save the day, most of the time, not always. That was the other beauty of our show. We didn't always have perfect happy endings. Um, oh, but let's say that uh, the script didn't work. And so we had literally a weekend to either rewrite that script, which I did many times, or throw it out and start over. That would be another writer's work that you'd have to redo? or Sometimes, yeah, there would be rewrites that, that would happen. Um, I think the fastest I ever wrote a, an episode was three days. Remember the episode? It was, oh, what's the title? Oh. Okay, Sam leapt into a black 16-year-old singer. Song for the Soul. 
I had three days to write Song for the Soul. Thank you. <laughs> well done. Um, I also remember an episode that it, it just wasn't working, and we had a day. And I was head writer at the time, and so I said, okay, I've got act one and act, oh, I've got act four. You take act one, you take act two, you take act three, and then get them to me by the end of the day. <laughs> I remember the event. I can't remember the episode. But it was really good. <laughs> but it was that kind of collaboration that, that was really exceptional. Um, we were very, very careful about the, um, the mythology of the series. You know, the, the fact that I remember one writer came in and pitched a, an idea where Al walked through a cow and came out on the other side holding a glass of milk. <laughs> and I said, no, it doesn't work that way. Um. <laughs> Say again. See, you could have written for the show. We have another question here. Okay. Right. Well, actually, not a question so much, but um, my son was eight or nine when the last episode aired, and we had made a specific time to watch it. And uh, he was very much the young man who held his emotions in check. And at the end of the episode, when the black screen comes up, we all know, you know, we're all sobbing. And my eight or nine-year-old son is crying, and he doesn't at anything. He's right. just really in control of his emotions. And so when the DVDs, so that touches a mother's heart. You know, it's like, wow, you know, my son was really touched by this because I'm touched by it. But he's 26 now, and when the DVDs came out, he came and borrowed my set. Okay, these are like gold, honey. You know, <laughs> don't wreck them. And when he brought them back, he said to me, I have never cried at any TV show except Premiere Image. And every time I see it, I cry. Wow. He's 26 years old. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Hi. Hi. Uh, my name is Kendrick from Warren, Ohio. Have you been out in Ohio? I have been in Ohio. Oh. <laughs> Ready for this? Middletown, Ohio. Oh, Middletown, okay. How's that? Oh, great. That's great. Um, I have two questions. Uh, one, one of my favorite episodes, definitely The Color of Truth. Um, uh, you did win a Lillian Gish Award, correct, for that? Yes, I did. The writing in that? I did. And I remember you were talking about um, how in uh, one classroom they actually put that episode in. That's true. I mean, I think that's the other unique, if I could just expound on that a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I got a letter from uh, a group of teachers who took, recorded the show, The Color of Truth, and played it up to the fact, the time when Sam walked in and sat down at the counter and saw he was black, and she stopped it. And I think they were like 10 years old, second graders. And she said, what do you think happened? What do you think would have happened? And they said, oh, well, you know, you ordered lunch, and everybody was kind of weird, but he ordered lunch, and... 
And she said, well, let's see what happens. And she played the, the rest of the scene, and the kids were furious. They said, well, why couldn't he eat there? And you realized how, she says, it gave them a point of reference of, of how far we have come. Thank you, Obama. Um, <laughs> and how far we have to go. Thank you, Obama. <laughs> You'll get us there. I know where I'm behind you. Um, um, so the, the, yes, the, the show ha was used to instruct kids in civil rights, uh, and successfully. And that the first Lillian Gish Award for Dub Women in Film uh, was given to The Color of Truth. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And my second question is, this is my first time coming out here in Los Angeles for a Quantum Leap convention. Thank you. And you have a gorgeous voice as Ziggy. So I was just wondering if you can just say hi to me. Ziggy <laughs> voice. All right, tell, say your name again. It's Ken Kendrick. 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 <laughs> Hello, Kendrick. God bless you, dear. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, the lovely, talented writer, director, actress, goddess, Deborah Brown! You guys have an outstanding quantum weekend, and I will see you, of course, over the course of the show. Thank you. I loved the panel with Deborah Pratt just because I think I love Deborah Pratt. I don't think I'm the only person that has gotten a lot of their shall we say, moral compass from that woman. She's an amazing writer, and she's a very good person, and nice, too. Absolutely true. And next time, we'll be listening to panel one from disc two. And who was on that panel, Brian? Holly Fields, Cynthia Bain, Lydia Cornell, Takia Crystal Kama, Jim Townsend, and Ken Forey. What were their characters that they played? I know Holly Fields and uh, Lydia Cornell. Holly Fields was, of course, from Kamikaze Kid, and Lydia Cornell was from Genesis. She was one of Peg's friends. Yes. Cynthia Bain was um, in uh, Blind Faith. Oh, okay. She was the uh, the girlfriend. Takira Crystal Kama was in uh, A Song for the Soul. Jim Townsend was in Promised Land, one of the uh, sheriff's officers, and... Ken Forey, who was in Pool Hall Blues, playing The Brush, one of the guys that beat Sam up in the alleyway. He was not nice. No, he was not. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually famous, more famous for being in horror movies these days. Yeah, he's been in a lot, so it's cool that he was on there. And I can't wait to hear it with you, and uh, that'll be next time on A Look Back at the Leap Back 2009.